Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad that you are with us. The National Rifle Association's stranglehold over firearms laws and regulations has ensured for decades that America is a nation of guns. There are more guns than there are people in the United States. And it's the NRA that made sure that lawmakers in Washington, D.C. and in state capitals all around the country don't pass laws that might jeopardize that reality. But in truth, the NRA's influence has been declining in recent years in some pretty significant ways. And in his new book, Misfire, Inside the Downfall of the NRA, NPR investigative reporter Tim Mack gives a detailed account of how the largely grassroots organization has begun to crumble under the weight of bad decisions, mismanagement, and a changing public perception of the gun issue. Tim Mack joins us now to talk about it. Tim, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much. So let's start with this. How did the NRA become such a lobbying behemoth in the first place? When I think of lobbying interests in Washington, D.C., it's hard to come up with another organization that I think had as much influence, as much power uh, as the NRA seemed to. Well, I think it's it's true that the NRA has millions of very passionate, passionate members. Uh, at last count, probably around 4.9 million members. And what the NRA has been able to do is create a sort of implicit threat that if you cross the NRA, these members are going to light up lawmakers' phone lines. They're going to be um, just hitting a lawmaker inboxes. They're going to be showing up at town halls. And they're going to really make a real big stink about it in, in, uh, when it comes to members of Congress. And so they've been able to mobilize their base quite effectively for many years. And that has changed in recent years. There have been lots of stories about the missteps that were made inside the NRA, uh, but, but it's also true that the influence that the organization wields is, is different today than it was just a few years ago. Talk about what happened and what that change looks like. Well, the NRA right now is facing probably the biggest challenge and crisis that it's faced in some 150 years of its existence. It's got members revolting. It's got members of its board of directors revolting. It's got serious financial challenges to the, to the extent that um, in 2018, they almost couldn't make payroll hmm. with its staff. And they've got numerous investigations into their misconduct, including most urgently the New York Attorney General's investigation into uh, misspending, uh, self-dealing, and other sorts of misconduct that have happened at the or at the NRA. Uh, New York Attorney General Letitia James has filed suit in court accusing the NRA and top executives of more than $60 million of inappropriate spending over just a few short years. And right now, a judge is in the process of deciding. They're in court deciding whether or not the NRA should be dissolved entirely as a result of some of this alleged misconduct. 
And so what happens to those millions of adherents, the the members of the NRA, if the organization itself were to go away or were to continue in a really hobbled fashion? Uh, Obviously, this is a nation that, that really respects and in some ways loves the idea of the freedom that we associate with gun ownership and gun sales. Uh, what, what would happen to those folks if the NRA imploded literally and, and went away? Obviously, those people don't disappear, right? They, they continue to exist and uh, create that implicit threat to lawmakers that I discussed earlier. They'll just be less organized, less easily mobilized, um, but they'll still be there and they'll still be monitoring politics just like all of the rest of us monitor politics and have our own views about what is the right direction for policy on all sorts of matters. Uh, but I think what's interesting about the NRA is that it's kind of been for so long been this kind of black box. We've only seen from the NRA what it's wanted to project out into the public. Mm. And what Misfire does, what this book does, is that it pulls back the curtains for us to get a better understanding of the personalities and the players here. Uh, Wayne LaPierre, for example, he's the executive vice president and CEO of the organization. There's deep, deep study into who he is as a person. And we can kind of talk a little bit about that if you like. Yeah. Um, he's he's someone who's deeply anxious and, and weak-willed and almost, you know, you talk to people who know him really, really well. And so they describe him as almost cowardly, which is really kind of interesting, right? That the head of the NRA one of the most powerful and controversial organizations in the entire country is led by this uh, kind of um, person who really disdains uh, controversy and is deeply anxious about confrontation. I'm talking with Tim Mack. He is a Washington investigative correspondent for NPR. He's also author of the new book, Misfire, Inside the Downfall of the NRA. We're talking about what he unpacks in that book, uh, about the profound change in the organization uh, of the NRA itself, uh, its influence over lawmakers and gun policy, and what comes next as a judge is prepared to decide whether to dissolve the NRA, the organization, altogether. Uh, we'd love to hear from you during the conversation as well. What do you think of the NRA? Are you somebody who considers yourself either a member of the NRA or a supporter of its advocacy in Washington or in Lansing. Uh, Do you believe that there is a significant place for guns in our society and you would like to see that place protected? Or are you somebody who supports more gun control measures and maybe is a little frustrated with the influence that the NRA seems to have over lawmakers. Uh, Give us a call and let us know uh, what you think about what's going on with the NRA. In a little bit, we are going to talk about the Supreme Court case that was heard yesterday that is uh, about uh, gun rights and uh, gun access. Uh, We're going to talk all all program today about uh, about the gun issue. Uh, So give us a call. Let us know what you feel about gun rights, gun advocacy, uh, gun lobbying. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. 
uh, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, Tim, before we get to listeners, I do want to talk about uh, what you uncover about Wayne LaPierre, the NRA CEO. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say you don't pull any punches when you describe uh, Wayne LaPierre. You write, uh, he's a man driven by fear and anxiety over all other forces. And his reaction to these emotions is usually to flee and hide. Why is it so important to understand who he is, to understand the larger point that you're making here in the book? So the book starts with this scene at Wayne LaPierre's wedding, and he doesn't show up. And, um, you know, the, the ceremony is supposed to start, and he's not there. The, the best man says to Wayne, I don't think you should get married today either, and puts a, a $100 bill on the dashboard of the car and says they could drive away. Wayne doesn't really want to get married, but he ultimately is talked into it by the bride and the priest. And why, why, why that story is important and why Wayne's character is important is that for decades, Wayne has allowed himself, driven by anxiety, to be talked into all sorts of projects, whether that's millions and millions of dollars for top NRA contractors or really very lavish, extravagant um, golden parachutes for NRA executives who leave the organization but are still paid handsomely in order to do almost nothing. For many years, people realized, people that are powerful inside the NRA, realized that if you yell at Wayne LaPierre long enough, he doesn't have a strong enough constitution to be able to push back and will eventually say yes to what you ask. And that's led to so many of the problems that exist inside the NRA today. Hmm. Uh, And you write that the murders at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newton, Connecticut, quote, changed the trajectory of Wayne LaPierre's life and the National Rifle Association uh, forever. Talk about how Newtown really affected uh, Wayne LaPierre and the NRA. Well, it's it's a real pivot point for the organization that after that, um, in, in the failure of gun safety legislation, uh, which ultimately fails in Congress, um, the NRA decides that it's much less interested in reaching out to Democrats and uh, moderates than it used to be, and focuses almost entirely on reaching out to Republicans and conservatives uh, and embracing this kind of culture war approach in order to gin up fundraising and membership counts. Now, this works for some period of time during the Obama era, but it really comes to a head when Donald Trump is elected, because ironically, although the NRA was a major, major force in the election of Donald Trump, it is kind of the start of the end for the NRA, because mm-hmm. when Donald Trump is elected, fundraising drops precipitously, right? Because the NRA has always done better in years when a Democrat is in power, and they can say to their members, oh, your gun gun rights are under threat, or uh, you know, the, the Democratic president is uh, is interested in taking away your guns. So when Donald Trump is elected, all these financial problems begin to pop up. And so do all these reports of corruption inside the organization. They start to bubble up because there isn't enough money to silence them. Um, I, I wonder also, uh, so Big Neo on Twitter says shall not be infringed. Those are the key words to the NRA and Second Amendment supporters. One problem they are having is that those words don't apply 
to all citizens in America. The NRA will rush to white folks' defense when weapons are involved, but they remain silent when it's a person of color. And I guess, Tim, I wonder what dimension you think that problem is maybe playing with the NRA. I think that's related to some of the things you were talking about with regard to the election of Donald Trump uh, and and the decline in financial support uh, for the NRA. This this idea of who the NRA is advocating for and who they won't stand up for. Uh, Philando Castile, for instance, someone who was a black man who was killed by police uh, while legally having a gun on his person didn't get a lot of support from the NRA and lots of people I think are starting to question that kind of that kind of double standard. Yeah, there was a lot of criticism even among NRA members that the Castile case didn't meet with more support from the NRA's top executives and their leadership. The NRA barely said any anything at all after the a video of the, the Castile shooting uh, came out uh, and after a verdict in which uh, a police officer was not convicted in, in, in his death. The NRA has not been vocal about the case. And so I can understand why your listener feels this way about it. And uh, you know, a lot of this relates to what I was saying just a few minutes ago or a few seconds ago about how the NRA has embraced kind of conservative culture war approach after mm-hmm. Sandy Hook. It's become a conservative institution uh, to the detriment of reaching out across the aisle and building a broader uh, bipartisan or kind of trans ideological coalition. So I also wonder what you make of the change in sort of the American sensibility around guns, or if there is a change in the American sensibility around guns, it's also affecting the NRA. I mean, this extreme position that essentially opposes almost any attempted regulation of gun sales or gun access or gun ownership seems more out of step, I guess, with what most people probably believe at this point than it did maybe 10 or 20 years ago. Is that one of the things that is confounding the NRA right now? Yeah, I mean, the the NRA has really kind of decided to go in one direction and not not build a broader coalition. Um, You know, what's interesting about this book is that it really goes deep inside the organization. I mean, it was it was based on, you know, my investigative reporting was based on uh, more than 120 interviews with people inside the NRA and its universe of vendors and, and people affiliated with it. And a lot of those people wouldn't be talking to me unless they felt that the NRA was in deep, deep trouble. And uh, they're concerned about what would happen if the current leadership pursuing the strategy it's currently pursuing and engaged in the kind of misconduct it's been accused of over the last few years, whether that the organization can survive. Um, I also wonder if you think there's a way for the NRA to regain its power. You noted that there's a judge who's going to make a decision about whether to dissolve the organization altogether. If that decision is to not dissolve the organization, could it regain the support that it had, the financial support that it had? Could it 
uh, craft more st- stable leadership and become the same force that it had always been. This really relates to the first question we had that you asked about in our conversation. And I think that the NRA's greatest asset is, of course, the millions of people who identify as NRA members. And those people stand, you know, they're still there. Uh, and, and whether the NRA as an organization collapses under the weight of some of their alleged misconduct, uh, if the NRA were to have new leadership or were to be reorganized in some way, they will still remain a potent force in American politics. They're in an incredibly, incredibly weakened state at the moment. Uh, and ha- there's an incredible threat to their future viability. But I, I don't discount that they can continue to be a force in American politics if things are turned around. Hmm. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Steve in Detroit. Steve, what's on your mind? Hi, how you doing? Hey, go how ahead. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I just wanted to point out, you were speaking about the case with the, with the black man uh, and being shot. And mm-hmm. uh, it just always, it always comes to mind for me that I believe those, the gun rights has always had a, a racial undertone to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, long after the British were gone and not returning, uh, that 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 was espoused the gun rights were were uh, uh, were tied to slavery and uprisings, potential uprisings, and even in the modern day and age, I, I think maybe uh, race riots and you know who's going to have what and you know people taking your stuff that you you know when when you're short of. Uh, needs and and goods and and all. So yeah. You know that, that's an interesting point Steve and and I obviously don't disagree. At the same time we live here in the city of Detroit where gun ownership, private gun ownership is among the highest uh, in terms of the rate uh, of any city in America. You talk to black folks in Detroit, they are almost uh, almost as enthusiastic about the protection for gun ownership as the people who you're talking about, Steve, who I think uh, ha- have pushed gun ownership for uh, opposing opposing reasons. And so I, I think it's maybe a little more complicated than than to to just talk about the history, the imbalanced history of protection for African-Americans, you, you, you still do have this incredible culture in Detroit that is about gun ownership. Uh, uh, Tim Mack, I wonder what you make of that possibility going forward. If, for instance, the NRA wanes in its influence, is there an opportunity to create an organization that does have uh, a broader appeal and uh, and does represent gun owners uh, across the political and demographic spectrum? Well, what's true is the NRA is the only game in town right now. Mm-hmm. That the NRA is so large that there's no other organization that w- it could possibly rival it, not even remotely, in finances, in organization, in political power. That right now the future of the gun rights movement in America is so deeply intertwined with what is happening with the NRA and its alleged misconduct and whether or not, you know, the, the ongoing court cases will lead to its dissolution entirely. I mean, there, there's so much riding on these, the, you know, what the legal process right now and what happens to the top executives at the NRA. 
Okay, Tim Mack, Washington investigative correspondent for NPR and author of the new book, uh, Misfire, Inside the Downfall of the NRA. It was really great to have you here with us to discuss your book and the NRA. Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you so much for having me. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to continue talking about firearms in America. We're going to have a conversation about yesterday's Supreme Court arguments over a New York gun control law, which could have major implications for gun rights more generally across the United States. We're going to continue to hear from you as well. Give us a call and let us know what you think is the current state of gun rights in the United States. Is it where you think it should be? Should there be more restrictions? Should there be fewer? 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.